Wow, this is almost 10 minutes long. 10 minutes long. Hello and welcome to Lecture in Progress. I'm your host, Will Hudson. Lecture in Progress is an educational resource to help the next generation of creators make better career decisions by inspiring and informing them of the breadth of opportunities that exist in the creative industry. We've launched the first version of the website alongside a Kickstarter campaign to get the project off the ground. There are some great rewards. Please do check them out at lectureinprogress.com. This podcast series includes a number of conversations with creatives about how they got to where they are and how they've come to do what they do, from graphic designers and illustrators to photographers and filmmakers. This podcast series includes a number of conversations with creatives about how they got to where they are and how they've come to do what they do. My guest in this episode is graphic designer Sarah Boris, and I started as always by asking them to describe what it is that they do. What do I do? So I guess um, I'm a graphic designer um, and I've been running my own studio for the last year. Um, I've been working in the design industry for about 11 years now and I'm currently publishing um, my first book um, amongst uh, other graphic design projects and screen print projects. Amazing. So what, um, and is that just, is that team at the moment just you or have you started to kind of, do you call on freelance? Have you got any kind of permanent members of staff? Um, I'm trying to keep it just me at the moment because um, I really want to travel and move around as freely as possible and get out of the office whenever I want to. I've been uh, collaborating on a couple of projects with other freelancers and illustrators. Really. Yeah. What, what are the kind of, what are the, currently what are the big challenges that you're having with that? Because presumably you're dealing with everything from kind of new business, um, specking work, mm. quoting work, sending invoices. You are kind of, you're, you're doing everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are a lot of challenges, I guess. Uh, I mean, one of the big challenges is uh, just uh, giving estimates for jobs. Um, I absolutely hate doing that. And um, I guess one of the things is because I love what I do, I don't like to give prices for it. <laughs> I think love has no price, so <laughs> it's always weird. Don't put that on me. Don't put that on the um, I think love has no price. It's, uh, it's a good name for a studio. Um <laughs> So if we kind of rewind to growing up and things like that, we, we, was design a big part of growing up? Were you always kind of aware of um, visual stuff or kind of how did you, how did you come to want to be a designer? Um, I, I've basically been uh, drawing and doodling and painting since I'm, I guess, tiny, since I can hold a pen. Um, but I, I'll be perfectly honest, I feel uh, a bit strange to say this, it's a podcast confession, but uh, I never thought I would go into design. And uh, when I did my foundation, I wanted to go into sculpture. And one of my teachers said, you're really crap at sculpture. You're really crap at 3D. Don't say that to anyone either. And, um, and she said, you'd be really good for graphic design and visual communication. I was like, no way. So that, sorry, that was at foundation. That was foundation. So you then, the decision that you made for kind of undergrad was to follow that advice and go and do graphic design. <laughs> yeah, you're making me confess everything. It's always like, do, <laughs> I, say, easy. do I say everything or not? Um, well, what did you put in the water? <laughs> Basically, um, uh, I, I didn't want to listen to her. But um, eventually she, she convinced the teacher in sculpture not to take me on the course. Wow. Um, so it was quite a big, um, uh, a big questioning for me and kind of reassessing everything. And, and obviously I didn't want to listen to her advice. I was quite stubborn. Um, and uh, I thought, well, maybe I should kind of look into other courses. And, and then they offered me to go into uh, the stained glass course. 
which was, I guess, a good sort what? of... There's a whole course on stained glass. A whole glass. course. They only have five people in the course, but they offered me to go in stained glass. And, and I actually thought, this is really exciting. I've always wanted to learn how to cut up glass. But uh, then I realized if I went up uh, two years in that course, and I didn't quite imagine myself working at the top of a cathedral, re-renovating a stained glass. So, um, so I actually signed up to, to another uh, arts course, which was kind of quite general still. And then a few days before, um, before university started again, I got this, co this call from the typography course from another school, and they had forwarded my file uh, to that school, and they said, you should take her on the typography course. That's amazing. I love the idea that, that um, I mean, how old were you at this point? Kind of 18, 19? Uh, yeah, 18. That your portfolio has just been passed around uh, Paris schools, going, <laughs> you take her, you take her. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it, uh, I mean, in a way, I felt, I felt quite grateful because they were really, um, they really wanted to put me in the course that felt right for me. So can you remember that with the portfolio then, was it quite typographic or it was just, there was just a sensibility to it that you think lended itself to typography? Um, <laughs> it's really difficult to say all this. <laughs> uh, the whole graphic design industry is going to kick me out. No, but um, uh, it's, um, yeah, I don't think it was typographic. I think there were, there were a lot of image-based things. There were a lot of, um, a lot of drawing, a lot of, you know, watercolor and, and, and kind of painting, so no typography. And how did you feel kind of to leave the, the ambitions of going and doing 3D sculpture, that kind of thing? Did, did that, was that still a part of your kind of graphic design work or did you very much, is there, is there a detachment at that point that you never really revisited Well, I, I think I, I knew I liked tactile things and I knew I liked making things and I get that maybe transferred into the sort of book design where I get a bit of 3D volume and, and, and kind of craft, but... Um, I think I realized quite quickly that they were right and I was quite lucky that they were on my case to put me in the course that was actually right for me. And, and that course was, it was in Paris, it was uh, Olivier de Serres, is that how you said? No, um, that was Estienne. So the foundation was at Olivier de Serres. Gotcha. So you mm. stayed in Paris and did the, the undergrad. Can you remember the, the kind of the big um, lessons there or were there particular influences that kind of played out that you, you still mm. kind of reference today? Well, I think uh, one of the things in, the, in this uh, typographic course was there was a huge rigor and a sense of, of craft and redoing things until they're perfect. And one of the things is that we spent sometimes days redoing a, you know, a letter shape or, or calligraphy. And, and I don't design fonts these days, but I think that sense of craft and kind of perfection has stayed with me. Uh, and you completed that uh, that course, and then at that point you moved to London yeah. um, to study the MA at LCC. What was it about? What was the kind of motivation there to kind of stay within education and pursue an MA as opposed to start kind of work and go into industry? Um, okay, so I'll give you another confession then. This is brilliant. I feel like every question I ask is going to get some kind of uh, exclusive. <laughs> it's the first time I reveal it. the ins and the outs of my. Um, you know, of my journey. But uh, no, uh, I mean, uh, again, what happened there, uh, slightly unexpected uh, uh, things um, happened. But basically, I really wanted to come uh, and study in the UK. And I had had quite a lot of English teachers uh, before going to university. And I thought, English people are great. And because I was born in England, I thought, you know, it's kind of reconnecting with roots that I didn't really know so well. 
Um, so I was intrigued to come to the UK and I signed up for this uh, BA course because at the time in France, there was no equivalent. Uh, the French courses were two years and the UK courses were three years. So I was basically missing one year to go on to UNMA. And I started a BA um, in uh, one of the UAL schools, which probably I won't name. And, um, and I got really depressed. It felt really, uh, it wasn't right for me. And I also felt the students were quite immature. I had already been studying three years and they, had, they were in the first year. And, and I, you know, I was contemplating my options. I, didn't, I thought, let's get a job. Let's just kind of find ways to kind of rebalance uh, the whole thing. And I bumped into um, a designer called Wayne Daly one day in the halls of residency. We literally smashed into <laughs> each other in the hallway. And I, I guess that tri triggered kind of me confiding in him. And he was like, how are you? Are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not okay. I hate my course and I don't know why I'm in the UK. And, and, and he said to me, okay, come, come and have a chat in the kitchen. And, and we had a chat and he said to me, why don't you show me your portfolio? So I showed him my portfolio and he was studying at the time at the MA in LCC. And he said, your portfolio is good, but you should add this, this and this following our conversation. And he kind of like started grabbing some of my sketchbooks and stuff that I had in, in the halls of residency. And he said, you should also show all these things because that shows who you truly are rather than showing free sketches and free typefaces and stuff. And, and that, you know, from that point, basically, then I had an interview in the MA and I had a, an interview with Ian Noble um, and Ian, you know, loved graffiti and I had like sketchbooks full of graffiti stickers, which I had been peeling off the, yep. sorry to the graffiti artists, <laughs> which I had been peeling off the streets of London, literally had piles like this. And so we completely connected on that level and he, he you know, and, and yeah, and it ended up with me giving him a big hug. <laughs> because he was kind of my, my savior alongside Wayne Daly. And I got on the course uh, two months later. Um, the other UAL course transferred my fees. So it was, Amazing. It was a win-win situation. And, and then I, I was in this course where, you know, people were really driving me. Um, I just want to go back to something that you just mentioned there about graffiti and those stickers. Graffiti is often one of those things that's kind of, um, I think the graphic design world kind of, there's a certain dislike to that reference, yet it comes up quite a lot within young mm. practitioners. And people are always kind of told, I'll oh, leave that like we're graphic design. There's mm. kind of no place for graffiti. Can you talk more about kind of what kind of stickers were they and, and what, what was it about them? Was it a certain aesthetic or a certain kind of style? And um, what, how is it that that kind of influenced your work? Um, I don't know if it influenced my work so much, but it's, it's always inspired me, and, and, and for me, I've always connected to these little signs and things I find in the street, and that communicates to me much more often than a billboard. Um, and, and I guess I really liked also how they were using, you know, the, like the post office labels, and they were actually like using these big postcard markers to, to label them. So it was kind of like a vandalism and then a second vandalism, yeah. um, and, and kind of defacing the post office branding, which I thought, which I thought was quite cool. But... Um, yeah, I think it's the mix of tag and it's the freeform expression, which I think in graphic design, everything's so most of the time controlled and, you know, we have the safety of our computers. And I think it's just this kind of thing of like, I'm going to do this massive tag or squiggle and I'm going to put it up and it's okay. And yeah, it's, the immediacy you know, of it. And also yeah. I like the way in which it, it engages an audience that 
for both the audience that know what it is, but also the kind of everyday mm. public that are walking past it. Yeah, and, and I think also the nice thing about it is that it creates a journey through the city, you know, and when you recognize an area where a guy has been in, like, you know, whether it's Space Invaders, and it kind of, it gives a sense of identification to certain points of the city. And I think that's quite a nice, nice thing as well. Yeah, so true. Um, more about your time at LCC. Um, it was a typography course. How do you... When you look back at that time, again, are there other kind of specific um, lessons that you learned? Kind of, was it qu kind of quite intense typographic kind of um, learning, understanding the way in which to use typography? Because obviously now, as you play out to be a kind of book designer, um, mm -hmm. branding uh, kind of design, it, it, there's an obvious connotation there of, of mm -hmm. the lessons that you'd have learned. What do you kind of associate with, with that MA and, and the work mm -hmm. that you're doing at the time? Well... Mm, it's again it's a bit strange because I didn't do uh, much typography in the MA um, and I think that was the thing that was interesting in the MA is that you know I had Paul McNeil uh, from Muir McNeil as a teacher uh, you know really really good typographer and um, I didn't do any typography um, I did installations I did photography um, and I did this kind of research on perception uh, but I didn't do any typography much at the end um, and I think this MA for me was really an exploration of, you know, different platforms of expressions and, and methodology rather than having, you know, rather than ha being forced into one type of tools or one type of rendering. And it, I think they changed the course maybe also for these, the course name for these reasons, because it was much wider Broad, than just it? typography. And, and what about moving to London from Paris? Was that relatively seamless or kind of do you mm. think it give, gave you a new kind of um, uh, opportunity to, to kind of totally embrace a new city? Um, well I only lived one year in Paris uh, the year just before I left and um, before that I was living in a, in quite a quiet suburb um, and I mean I, I really liked living in London from the beginning and from the moment I found the course I was comfortable in I think everything kind of fell into place. And I find people, you know, very friendly in the UK, so. We are, we're, fr we're friendly a lot. <laughs> um, so then graduating from LCC, uh, talk to me about the kind of the early jobs there. You were at the Barbican, is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was looking for, for work quite intensely after, the, um, after LCC and took about three months to found, find this job. I mean, what, one thing that was interesting is I got into this really kind of like, sort of like cave, I became a sort of caveman and, and I wasn't leaving my room and I was applying compulsively to many, many jobs. But I had discovered the Barbican when I came to London and there aren't similar spaces uh, in, in Paris, for example, that host, you know, cinema, theater, dance, exhibitions in such a wide way. Um, and I thought that's the place where I want to work because I, I actually want to be witnessing all these people working together and be inspired by them. So I didn't really know how they were working there, but I thought I want to work there. Uh, so I had that aim, but my main aim was I need to get a job soon. Otherwise, I'm going back to France. <laughs> and, um, and I was also applying actually for jobs in France, but there were no, hardly no ads. And eventually, um, I sent this application to future brands. I never heard back from them. But one day, these people from Weber Shandwick called me. And uh, they said, yeah, we need a designer to work on Eon brochures and, you know, really exciting stuff. The, the kind of stuff I unfortunately don't do anymore today. 
Um, I hope Ian hears this and commissions me to redesign their newsletter. <laughs> but um, basically, um, so I spent one month there working in a very corporate environment, uh, in a you know, very co corporate atmosphere. And it was actually exactly what I needed for my portfolio because I was missing all these kind of very corporate bits that can reassure an employer or even, you know, kind of pure layout, which I didn't have much of at the time in my portfolio, having gone into quite experimental grounds during, during my MA. And resulting from that, uh, I slowly started building a portfolio that was, I think, more employable, less experimental. And um, and that's something that you worked out yourself. That wasn't advice that you were necessarily given. That was no, no. I mean, I didn't get advice, and um, I just realized as things ha things happened. Because also, when I guess it's just also from seeing like what kind of job responses I was getting, I realized that you know there must have been some bits missing. But I only realized that maybe let's say ten years later. Yep. Um, taking a step back. <laughs> And um, and also, I guess teaching has helped me realize all these things because you kind of like try to pass this on. But um, and I had applied for an internship at the Barbican at the time they were looking for a, a, a design intern. I never got a response back, um, and I had sent in something quite you know customized and cute. And and uh, I had also applied for another job uh, which was designing flyers for clubs in Brixton and stuff. Um, with with two really nice ex LCC grads, um, and I actually ended up getting the job there. I did one day there, and after one day, I decided to leave. And I think uh, it was a strange decision as well. At the time, I had finished the Weber Shanwick uh, project, but um, there was no heating in the office, uh, so they told me on the first day to come in with a, a, a bed cover, um, and and I thought, oh, I can do this. It's kind of cool, and it feels like we're working on squats, and it's fun. Um, feels kind of underground, and uh, then there was also this other thing um, where uh, I designed a first flyer and. Um, The, the client said to me on the phone, uh, this looks really, really nice, but uh, could you add some big boobs? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this was on day one? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so I looked at the two girls in the office and I was like, uh, guys, this guy said this, what do I do? And uh, they pointed a whole pile of porn magazines to me. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. What? And after that, you thought, this isn't going to last. I need to I need to get out of here. And I thought, I'm freezing my ass off and I have to look for a pile of boobs with my <laughs> with my blanket on. That is graphic design, isn't it? That's <laughs> and I thought, but don't we need the right to use these boobs or stuff? <laughs> can we? Do oh, you know, don't worry, it's porn. Like, it's different with the rights in this industry. <laughs> you can just change the color. So it's a bit like, oh, really? Okay, so... And and then I thought I'm not going back tomorrow, you know. And and I thought I'm, I I need to focus on getting a job that you know. And how kind of how do you 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 leave on on the first day? You think about it in the evening. Do you then just give them a call and kind of go look? Like was it just is it just brutal honesty of going? This is not for me. It's terrible. I can't really remember, but I I know I know I was feeling really uncomfortable, and I think they were quite upset. But I just. I can't remember what I said. I just, yeah, I think I just said something like, it's not, it's not for me. Yeah. I don't like boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, I think what's so fascinating though is it is that kind of, um, I almost think you need those kind of experiences and not specifically that, but those experiences that introduce you to different ways in which people work that you kind of, that's how you yeah. kind of figure it out. That's how you go. That's not for me. And actually that job would be perfect for someone. And, and I think that's what's so great about the industry is that variety of, 
of um, studio. Yeah. And I mean, we've had it, not, not the boo <laughs> side, but we've had the... People leaving after a day. We've had the cold studios. <laughs> I don't think we've ever had anyone leave after a day. I don't know, I might be wrong. I'm sure if there's someone out there, they'll let us know. Um, but tell me, so actually we're going to take a quick break there because yeah. that's quite a nice um, uh, place to kind of stop and then we'll come back to it and talk about more about what you did after that and then um, current work today. Okay. Thanks for listening. I just wanted to take this quick opportunity to tell you a little bit more about Lecture in Progress. Lecture in Progress is a resource to help the next generation of creatives make better career decisions by inspiring and informing them of the breadth of opportunities that exist in the creative industry. Aware that the gap between education and industry is only widening, Lecture in Progress will help demystify the creative world we work in. We'll explain everything from the huge range of jobs that exist, how people got into the industry and how much you can expect to get paid, right through to how a project comes together and taking a look into the studios and workplaces in which they happen. We see Lecture in Progress being funded through annual membership, largely made up of current students and recent graduates. We're aiming to build a relationship with these members as the site grows and develops over the next 12 months, and we want to make sure that we deliver the content that they will find most useful and that can't be found anywhere else. Members to Lecture in Progress will get full access to the website and archive, become part of a network of like-minded individuals, they'll receive member-only offers and promotions and invitations to events, They'll also have the opportunity to apply for funding for creative projects. They'll be invited to studio visits as well as entry to our annual awards program. Please do check out the first version of the website at lectureinprogress.com. There we've put together a number of articles and resources that best demonstrate what we plan to do. You can also find a link to the Kickstarter campaign that will be running throughout October. We've tried to make it as simple as possible to get behind the project and hope you'll like the rewards we've made, many of which are only available on Kickstarter. Please do back the project and all being well, we'll be back on the 1st of January, 2017. Back to the interview. Hello, welcome back. Uh, I'm here with Sarah Boris. Uh, We were just chatting about uh, the Barbican and getting that job. Or actually, I think we'd kind of, we'd half come onto that. You were talking about a job that you'd done for a day. Um, So let's, so... How long after that did the Barbican job come about and how, how did you end up landing that job? So um, I think it came out about after a month. I had another one-day internship, uh, with, no, actually two-day internship, where I was told I'd do lots of cool book design and, and stuff. And, and, and I ended up uh, sitting in front of a scanner that was so slow that I probably managed to do a scan in two hours. And I had a pile that was never ending and I thought, this is going to be my internship scanning. So again, I left that one. And uh, then the, the Barbican got this uh, job offer for a junior graphic designer. And I hadn't had any news from the internship. And I thought, if I'm going to apply to this, I need to totally change my, my application and presentation, almost like being a new person. And uh, obviously, having observed the marketing uh, quite a bit since and trying to understand why I had not received any answer from the first one, I did an application which basically um, kind of copied beautifully um, their art gallery uh, brochure and uh, made that into my CV um, and a sort of booklet about my work. I think I've chucked it actually since because I've had to make some space. But um, they they got me in for an interview and the, the marketing director um, told me that he basically um, knew from that from that application that he'd give me the job and he just wanted to check I was normal um, and not crazy. Amazing. Um, but and you passed that test. 
Uh, yeah, he passed yeah, it. Okay. Good. <laughs> did I you did. ever? Did you ever get to meet the person that would have given you the internship? Uh, yeah, I met him. Actually, I asked him oh, what happened. Uh, Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm the yeah. junior graphic designer. I had the, <laughs> I had the interview with him, and we ended up working together for for the two years and a half. But he basically explained that he had received such crazy applications. They received about 600 applications for the internship. Apparently, they were receiving trays of cakes with, you know, the Barbican a logo and icing and all sorts of things. And he just got horrified by the process. And he said, "Let's wait a little bit and let's actually hire someone." That's amazing. Yeah. That is, I think, I think that speaks volumes. Though that that I think when applying anywhere, the considerations to how many people are going to be applying for the same thing. Yeah. Also, sending cakes. Like yeah, I mean, you don't know what they've put in there, really. <laughs> Imagine if it's a space cake or I don't know. I, would, I was thinking more, it's like, where does it end? It's like oh, a, yeah. a car turns up and it's like, oh, I have this car. Just just let me come and <laughs> A branded with car, you. please. <laughs> <laughs> branded Barbican car. Um, so you got into the Barbican as a junior graphic designer. How big was the team of the Barbican um, at that stage? Well, we, we were two designers. William Allen, who's uh, the senior designer there, and I think he's still the I mean, design manager. And um, and then we had uh, digital designers as well, um, but essentially we were two, and and they hired a lot of external agencies to um, to to kind of do some of the projects. But um, where I think it was a really kind of turning point of my sort of way of designing is that at the time uh, North Design Studio were redoing their their branding, and uh, Sean Sean Perkins uh, from North um, who was a really nice guy basically said to me at one point. Uh, I think you should come in to the studio and because you're going to be implementing the brand for the next few years, you should uh, come in and work with us and see how it's going to work. And uh, and so he then spoke with William and, and uh, the marketing director at the time. And he said, and they all agreed. So for three months, I went part-time to North Design Studio. And it was really, really good because um, I got a methodology uh, that I didn't, really have at the time and I think it really honed um, a lot of my design skills uh, at that point and and also gave me all the right things to be able to implement thoroughly the, the identity after within the space and kind of maintain it in a consistent way. So so that was a really, really turning point. Yeah. So was that a consistent three months? Was that kind of a few days a week you'd be yeah. at North, a few days a week at, at Barbican? Were you ever tempted to kind of move... Um, uh, to the to a design studio as opposed to being in a in a kind of in-house team. Um, at the time, no. I mean, um, the the atmosphere was quite tough <laughs> in the in the studio, um, and uh, I I did feel a little bit like an outsider. I think uh, I was obviously still really young, and uh, you know my background in des in design was quite diverse. Um, and quite experimental. So um, I think I still had a lot to learn. And I think when you're at that stage, you're not, you're not seen that well by everybody in the studio. And I think more senior people in the studio embraced that and, and more junior people were a bit, um, I don't know, um, kind of, I don't know, I felt like a, the ugly duckling. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, but I think, you know, looking back, it was, you know, po potentially the best experience I could have had. But it didn't make me want to go and work in a studio. No, because you, you um, we're going to come on to, you, you went from the Barbican to the ICA, which we'll come on to in a minute. Your experience while at the Barbican was creating uh, the in-house collateral, and that's everything from the, the posters, the booklets, the advertising, mm. the, it's, it's you're working with that one brand. Mm. When it came, you were there for two, two and a half years? 
two and a half. Did the point at leaving, was that as a result of, do you think there's a kind of a, a longevity to working in that kind of environment before you kind of, you, mm-hmm. you've exhausted those limitations or was it just the opportunity that arose at somewhere like the ICA that you, you couldn't turn down? Mm, well, <laughs> Um, so I loved working at the Barbican and I was really comfortable there and I was actually eating a lot of cake. <laughs> um, not sent in my Well, you're just, you're just advertising for interns the whole time. It's like, guys, we know we don't need anyone, but it's a surefire yes, way to cake. get cake. Um, no, but, uh, you know, it's kind of an office atmosphere where you're really comfortable and you've gone into a pattern of, of doing things. And I think uh, I like new challenges. And uh, there were two things that, triggered kind of me leaving is one the fact I was eating too much cake and and getting too cozy (laughs) Um, and and the second thing is uh, I started wanting to to work with other brands and um, a lot of uh, the exhibition projects were being given to external designers and uh, the you know the gallery department wasn't you know didn't really want to give us those projects and also we were quite a small team so we probably didn't have the capacity to take them on and I thought I want to do this if I want to do it, I have to leave. So, um, so, so I thought I'm not going to go back actually to to an arts space. I need to to change, and that's when I thought maybe I should go for a studio. But inherently, having spent two years and a half uh, specializing in a space like that, and knowing how to work with all these kind of departments, um, you know, I couldn't help but apply for a job at the VNA, which I didn't get, <laughs> and uh, and uh, for for a job at the ICA. Um, which which I got, and I think that was quite funny because the VNA uh, job interview really helped. I think um, me think differently about the IC interview, and then then I slightly repeated what I had done for the Barbican application, where I basically did a whole uh, branding assessment of of uh, of the ICA current brand. Um, yeah. So sorry to to just um, talk about that a little bit more. So so. Instead of aping the design and putting a CV, you actually did a kind of a more formal appraisal of what you thought worked and didn't work. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's quite bullish. It's quite a kind of. I think it was uh, it was part of a task they asked us to do. Um, I think I, I didn't say anything negative, especially because uh, <laughs> Spin had done the branding, and I never there criticize a big, um, big, big and beautiful uh, design agencies. But um, it, yeah, no, it was part of the task to to assess. Because obviously, while you when you got the job and you were there, you were part of that rebrand. How soon after joining them? You, you joined them as a designer within a team of how how big was that team? At the ICA. Yeah, the ICA. I was the only designer. You were yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. So how quickly after joining did you implement that um, redesign and, and rebranding? So um, I mean, the ICA rebrand had uh, had already been rolled out for two years. And uh, I think I worked for two years with the branding, or maybe a year and a half. And I realized that there was an internal conflict about the brand. And I started understanding by, you know, eating with people, working with people, the, why there was a conflict on the brand. And it was kind of departmental conflict, and which is totally normal and understandable. And... And uh, a lot of people didn't recognize themselves in the brand or, or recognize the, what the ICA was or what they wanted it to be. And I, I basically my aim was, I mean, I went to the ICA with the aim, I want to change the branding. So it's a smaller organization than the Barbican. They're probably not going to get another big agency to rebrand. I, that's my target. I mean, that's my aim. If I don't do that, 
I'll leave and, and try something else. And, and uh, I worked really hard, like I worked crazy hours to be able to do all the kind of day-to-day -day stuff. But on top of that, kind of win over the exhibitions department, which is often one of the toughest departments to win in these, yeah. in these places. And, and, and shortly after that, um, Echo Ashen um, gave me the, the rebrand to do. Amazing. So you're, you're still relatively junior. You've got about three years experience under your belt. Is that right? Mm. Maybe a little bit longer. Yeah, maybe three years and a half, four. Yeah. Uh, so how, was this the first job of its kind? I guess you've got the experience that you've taken from North, kind mm. of the, the, the nature of going in and seeing how they did it. Mm. How did you approach a job like that? Did you seek any kind of external advice or, or input or did you, were you at a stage that you felt confident, right, I, I know how I'm going to go and do this. You, you canvassed opinion and, and from people that worked at the ICA. How, to take us through kind of how you approached that job. I mean, one, one thing and that I regret actually from the Barbican is I never saw uh, North's presentations when they were presenting to the marketing director and all that. It, they were quite closed um, presentations. But uh, one thing is uh, I used a lot of uh, resources that were available. So I got a lot of uh, books on the branding and the arts. Um, I also got uh, books. Uh, I also got uh, stuff from, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, uh, a huge marketing uh, resource website on the branding. Uh, and I started kind of compiling a lot of different resources. And I also used uh, the Design Council. Um, uh, they have a, a sort of... Uh, it's, it's all a bit blurry now, <laughs> but uh, they have this uh, this sort of guide of you know kind of key questions on branding, and I actually felt you know the best way is I need to create a brand where everyone I mean you know the people who work here and outside are going to be happy with, and where there's not going to be this internal conflict because you can't tell the story if you have that internal conflict. So I I basically started doing uh, micro sessions where. I got about 10 people in each session. So I did about, I don't know, five or 10 of these sessions. And we had discussions about the brand then. And, and that was also the idea of kind of, if you let people express themselves, they feel part of it. And if you, you know, kind of develop something in stages, they'll feel they've been included. And, and you know, everyone got an opportunity to feedback. And I think that was one of the biggest learnings for me in doing that in the brand is kind of, you know, if you, if you kind of get everyone involved, you know you can't take all the opinions into account, but you you kind of get that trust. No, definitely. Do you, do you remember any kind of key um, key insights or comments that kind of surprised you that that actually went on to to kind of inform it more than you thought? Well, I had really um, you know I had comments saying like, uh, why do we have bubbles, and uh, why uh, is it an institute of contemporary arts when We've always been known as the ICA. And, you know, by having a lot of those comments, I thought, well, you know, people don't recognize, for example, the bubble, you know, the bubbles. Uh, that really, you know, people didn't want a marquee for the brand. They didn't want, the, they were like, we're ICA, we're here to carry other people's work and we're a platform for artists. Um, so it, it was kind of thinking like, okay, we need to clean the brand. We need to take off all these decorations and, and all these kind of marquees and things that, that were extremely good, but which had a different marketing objective at the time. Um, and, and I think that those were comments that I think were really helpful. And then Will Holder, uh, at the time um, who I, I did uh, the first issue of Roland with, 
the, the contemporary arts magazine for, for the ICA, he also said, where's, our, where's the acronym gone? You know, and, and I think that was, and he's like, none of the artists identify with the space anymore. And, and, and that was a big thing also in connecting with all the, all the, all the publications they had done this in the 60s, which had beautiful design and just that quite simple acronym. Amazing uh, kind of history and heritage to look back on that place. Yeah. It's like, it's somewhere that I didn't really know about until I moved to London. As the sole designer on that team, you were doing everything there or like the Barbican with a, with a certain commissions that they'd look at external agencies? Well, I basically worked to not let them, uh, I worked uh, triple hours during the day to not let them go to any agencies. Nice, <laughs> and, and that worked. I would just roll myself on the ground if they did that. <laughs> uh, so no, I'm, how, kidding. I'm kidding, obviously. <laughs> how do you, as a designer, um, working on your own, where do you, where did you seek opinion on your work, or did opinion come through the people mm. visiting the gallery, or bits of press you got? Or yeah. I mean, uh, one thing I should mention is that um, when uh, when they gave me uh, the rebrand project to do, I still had to do all the other stuff, and uh, that's when I started uh, asking for uh, cakes. Um, <laughs> from interns, and um, I, I basically was quite lucky. I spotted a, I spotted a, a recent graduate in the graduate issue from uh, Etap in France, and uh, I really liked his work. And I just uh, went to see his website, and on his website it said, uh, "I'm looking for an internship abroad." So I mailed him and I said, "Do you want to come to the ICA? I'm doing this rebrand." And, and he, he was like, "Yeah." And the extraordinary thing is that he had a bursary um, with, uh, it's called the Leonardo bursary. So he was paid better than junior designers get paid in the UK. And it sets, sets a weird benchmark of, you know, um, but uh, he, you know, he was paid and he stayed six months and then we uh, extended uh, six months. And he, he was a junior designer, but he was really, really good. And um, I guess we worked really as a team at that time. And he was a huge kind of, help in, in kind of getting, making everything possible. And, and, and then I also, um, sorry, sorry, mm -hmm. just, but can you remember what, what it was about the portfolio of work that you saw that made you think this is the person to come? Um, it was beautiful. <laughs> no, it was, um, the content, um, and the projects he had chosen to work on were really interesting. Uh, and every, everything was really well executed, but at the time I, I can't really re really remember and say why, but it just stood out from all the other portfolios I had seen in the graduate section. And um, yeah, and then I think we just had a call. We never met in, in person, we just had a call and then he arrived for six months. And, um, and Yeah, I butted in. Have you now lost your train of thought as to, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. Um, so you were, at the, you were at the ICA for a little bit longer than you were at the Barbican. You were there for about five years, is that right? Yeah. And from there, you moved to Fiden. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, from the outside, it's a kind of in-house team, but working for a brand, but, but mm. maybe a little bit more diverse in what you could do in that each book is yeah. kind of separate. Although I think it's worth saying, I think Fiden are, are one of those publishers that the, there is a consistency and an aesthetic and an attention to detail that the books they produce, it's, it's rare you see something come out of Fiden that, that shocks you. They do all sit quite nicely together. Mm. How did, how did that job come about? What was it about five years at the ICA that you thought you needed something different? So, I mean, um, there were a lot of changes at the ICA. Um, you know, they had a huge funding cuts. Um, they also got rid of a lot of staff. 
um, and uh, a lot of stuff changed there and and um, a lot of the curators changed as well and uh, one of the things was uh, basically I the last two years the last two years at the ICI I was there two days a week they had cut down massively on the print that was being made so I was doing everything uh, two days a week and uh, I went freelance and uh, actually one of my biggest clients when I went freelance <laughs> the three days of week of the week was the ICA, <laughs> which was kind of funny. But um, uh, they were calling me all the time. It's like, two days is not enough. And I was teaching then, and I was also doing a mix of, of jobs. And um, uh, at one, I mean, I was really happy with the mix because it's ideal to be two days a week in a place that you love and then the rest of the time teaching and and all these things. And, and one of the people I had worked with at the ICA, um, Jean-Francois Goyette, hello. <laughs> um, he, he had been a digital designer at the ICA and he moved on to Phidon, where he was working on the digital um, architecture archive. And, and he called me and he's like, Sarah, you have to come and work at Phidon, it's amazing. Um, they have this job going, it's design manager, you're gonna love it. You have to apply. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he basically called me every every day um, until I ended up applying, and he kind of forced me into it. And I and then I applied, and I thought anyway, I'm never gonna get it. Um, and 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 I got it. The I got the job. And, and I love that as a recruitment um, policy. Someone someone's someone just like <laughs> work out who we need, and just get just be on their back every day until they apply. Yeah. We we need to adopt. It was really funny also because he was, you know, in, in the, he wasn't even in working with that department, but he was, I think also what was interesting with, and I think that's why your network outside of design is really important is that he, he just likes what I do and he just wanted to see me in that, in that place. And I think that that's really, really nice of him. But um, yeah, so, and then I thought I can't, I can't refuse this job. It's like so big. And that's the first time also in my career that I actually picked up my phone and called a lot of design studios and designers. And I said, do you think I should take it? And, and it was really interesting getting feedback from them because they gave, they gave me their personal opinion, what they would do in my position. And some were like, oh my God, but Sonia was doing this job before. Yeah, go for it. It's amazing. And, you know, it's an amazing platform. And, and then some people were like, I never, you know, go and work internally. So it's hard for me to tell you to go or... And, and then some people said to me, you know what, you can just, just take it, see, see what it, where it's going to take you to. And, um, and you can always leave if it's not right. But you, you got it and you yeah. were there for two and a half years? Two and a half years. Um, I, uh, I know you more recently for things like the JR book. What were, your, what were your highlights while you were there? What were the books that you worked on that you kind of hold up as, as the best work? Um, well, I really liked working on the bread book. I'm a huge bread fan. I've got that book. I've made <laughs> very little bread, but I've got the bread book. You don't make the croissants uh, every Sunday? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. I don't. What's yeah. funny is that after buying it, I did go and buy some fresh yeast and certain ingredients. And I learned that fresh yeast has a sell-by date pretty shortly after you've bought it. So I didn't start then and I, I still haven't got around to it. But it's a nice book that I look at every now and again. Um, <laughs> But um, I mean, uh, I think uh, that was one of the biggest things that that's kind of changed a lot in me at Phidon is the cookery books um, and this culture around food and, and, you know, the huge influence of kind of being creative with what you make and, and what you cook. Um, and I only worked directly on the bread book, but 
indirectly, I worked on a lot of other books, cookery books, commissioning designers and, and illustrators alongside Julia. Um, and, and then I really also enjoyed working on the James Irvin book on the, the product designer. How, how do you find um, commissioning other designers? As a, as a designer yourself that you know how you would approach something, how you would do something, to, to have mm -hmm. to brief that in to an external uh, creative. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you kind of relish now, that you enjoy seeing how other people approach stuff or the other elements that you have to kind of battle with your inner self to not kind of go, all right, great, just send over the files and I'm, I'm going <laughs> to tidy it up and do what um, I want. I mean, uh, when I get an email for a new project, I'm so excited. It's like uh, Christmas uh, by 20 times, uh, you know, when that Christmas excitement you get as a child. Uh, but I get that now with um, with uh, when I get new commissions. And I think uh, this first stage where you contact a designer to work on a project and you, um, I kind of like to, I feel as excited for them than I would be for me. Um, so I really like that phase of commissioning and, and bringing a new project. And what I really like with commissioning as well is, is this idea of trying to commission people that aren't necessarily so obvious for that field, because I think that's where can get much more unexpected results. And I think it's true, we tend to put people in boxes like, oh, she does cultural stuff, so let's get her to do cultural. But my dream is to do like something really ultra corporate, um, you know, to, for, for big finance or state agency, or I don't know. I'm with you. I think, mm -hmm. I think we constantly try and have those conversations with people because, yeah, I think people do kind of get pigeonholed. And I think inherently, whatever you show in your portfolio is what potential clients come to you and say, we want, mm. we want this project, but for our, our brand or our, our um, specific need. I think when you start talking to creatives about the kind of projects they want to do, suddenly it unearths these things, or you get people that have been doing side projects or experimenting in, in something that hasn't currently had any kind mm. of um, public uh, showing. And actually to harness that, I think you get, I think you also get kind of a renewed energy into a project because it's something that they're doing for the first time. Mm. I'm right in saying you worked on the JR book, right? Yeah. How is working with an artist like JR, yeah. and by that I mean someone that's kind of so recognised, who has a very um, consistent aesthetic, how, how does that dynamic work of, of trying, to, trying to get a book out of it that you're pleased with as a designer, they're pleased with as an artist? I think, um, I mean, JR has been an amazing person to work with. And uh, I had seen a lot of his work before, but I had no idea about his character. And he's, he's a person who, he, I mean, he achieves what he does through collaboration. And I think I really felt that when I was working on the project, he really trusts you to come up with, some, with things. And then he'll tell you if, if he's happy with them. But I think he's, in that sense, he really gives people space to make things. And um, I think it was actually a really smooth process. And you're pleased, you're pleased with that book, that outcome, because it's got the grey eyes on the yeah. printed on the pages, and it? it's not on the spine; it's on the on the pages. Yeah, on the on the three corners. But um, yeah, I think I think it looks really good, and and I think it's like everything is. One, once I finish the project, I always feel, oh, we could do this, or we could do that, and and for me, I would never reprint twice the project the same way. Um, so you know. I, I would probably change the background of the cover or I'd probably um, change a few things here and there. I like the idea that when you're printing something, if you reprint it, you can make it something new in the same way that when you, you know, update a digital experience. Or Yeah, I love that idea that you, um, and also I think the people that buy into 
into that um, book or or whatever kind of uh, medium it takes. It's it's you know where you bought into it. If you mm. bought a first edition um, yeah. Harry Potter, it's very different to the kind of commercial ones that end up now. Maybe Harry Potter and Fiden books are, are <laughs> slightly different. Maybe I could have gone for a better analogy. Um, I wanted one of the things that we're keen to kind of um, talk about in this series. The big lessons you've learned through mistakes and kind of things that haven't maybe gone to plan. Mm. Not necessarily just with Fiden, kind mm. of um, Fiden, ICA, Barbican. Are there other kind of specific things that you kind of look back and you know you've learned something, but they were pretty nasty at the time? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, a bit, I have a bit of the... Um, yeah, I, I've, I've encountered nasty things, or, but uh, I, feel, I feel I have a sort of a ethos of never regretting things and I feel like uh, I have made maybe little mistakes in my in my journey uh, you know maybe sometimes not seeking enough advice um, also having worked in, in you know in quite small teams I think it's important to seek advice from other designers externally uh, you know feeling quite isolated in that sense in the industry and I think that's that's a mistake to be scared to to seek advice and I think even today I should seek advice obviously because I'm you know, growing and and doing totally new stuff, and maybe I should go and see. Um, I don't know, Wolfhard and ask them advice about getting a really big corporate client or designing for the Olympics. Or Michael Wolf's great, and he's also as <laughs> well up for chatting to people. You should definitely okay. track him down. He's okay. lives in this beautiful house, um, and uh, yeah, I got uh, half an hour with him earlier this year, and he's brilliant. Uh, how well do you think you re- receive critique and feedback and advice? Well, um, I think uh, it's scary in the design industry because um, as you as your work gets more known, uh, people uh, get more critical as well, and they get um, they, you know they can get a little bit uh, harsh. I find uh, it's like uh, you know when you see uh, the logo being criticized, or um, and I think uh, the design industry on social media can be quite cruel to one another. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm scared about that kind of stuff. And I'm scared when I do a video or podcast <laughs> that I'm going to say something that, you know. No, not at all. Uh, I think it's been. But I, I love been... everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think you've been great. And I think yeah. it's, I think it's, um, uh, I think it's great that kind of the things that you've shared and that you've talked about today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say a massive thanks for doing so. I think that kind of brings us pretty much to what we've got time for. Um, but yeah, just a big thanks for taking the time to chat to us. Thanks to you. A big thanks for listening to this episode of Lecture in Progress. The music and sound for this podcast was produced by the wonderful Zelig Sound. Zelig produced some of the best original music and sound design for commercials, TV and films. Check them out at zeligsound.com. Do check out the rest of the series on the website at lectureinprogress.com. Do follow us on Twitter at lectureinprog for updates. And please do support the Kickstarter. Thanks for listening. Thank you.